Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. with me tonight please to the book of first timothy first timothy chapter number one and uh, i want you to know i do realize it has been some time since we've been here and uh, i'll be honest with you as uh, as i've been studying this book uh, i got to a verse that i honestly didn't quite understand enough to preach it to you yet and uh, so we just studied other things and just kept studying it and studying it until we could try to uh, figure out what the lord would have for us amen and uh, I don't, didn't think that you would want me preaching on a verse that I didn't understand. Amen? And uh, so that's the truth of it. Amen? And uh, as the more I studied it, the more I found out I wasn't the only one that was slightly perplexed with it. Amen? And uh, so chances are if you study the Bible long enough, if you ever read a commentary behind what somebody else said looking for something uh, to give you some help, you'll find out the verses you struggle with, they struggle with too. Amen? And uh, I don't know if I found a study Bible maybe other than one that even addressed this verse at all, and uh, and uh, most Bible commentators had something to say about it, uh, but what they said about it, I didn't agree with. Amen. And uh, so that was just the dilemma. Amen. But I do think I have uh, the mind of the Lord this evening. Amen. So stand to your feet with me, if you will. Uh, we'll look at these verses of these verses of Scripture together. I'll give you a little bit of uh, background of where we have been, and uh, just kind of remind you where we've been, and uh, then we'll get into the message for tonight. But let's begin reading in verse number 1. Uh, we have dealt with verse 1 through 4, and but let's read it together. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now verse number five was the verse that I have spent these last several weeks, months, whatever you may say, uh, trying to understand how they fit in with the rest of these verses. The Bible says, now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners and for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And we'll conclude our reading there this evening. You may have a seat. Let's bow for a word of prayer together, and we'll get into the message that the Lord would have for us today. Let's pray. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we do bow in your presence once again as thankfully and humbly as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for another day, another opportunity that you've given us to be in the house of God. And Lord, what a joy it is to be able to gather with your people. Thank you, Lord, for every song that we've sung already. Thank you, Lord, for every greeting among the body of Christ that we've been able to share. Thank you, Lord, for every, every story, for every uh, word of conversation that's been encouraging and uplifting. And no doubt more will be to come, and we just praise your name in advance for the fellowship that we get to have as the body of Christ here at Beacon Baptist Church. Thank you for each and every one that you've called here to, to make up this uh, church family. And Lord, I thank you for 
the privilege to preach to them today. Father, I pray that you would just forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit and use me, Lord, that I may speak to them, uh, Lord, the truth that you would have, heaven's message for each and every person here. Lord, I want to be more than sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Lord, I want to be your messenger for this place tonight. And may you exalt your word and may you lift up Christ, uh, Lord, in each and every way. May the gospel be, uh, Lord, mentioned and, and, Lord, exalted as well. May sound doctrine and our need for the Bible uh, be, uh, Lord, paramount in this place, uh, Lord, as we look into the text of Scripture. And, Father, I just pray that you would do the preaching through us. Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would help this congregation as they listen. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work of grace in each and every heart. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do now in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, for some time now, as God has led us to come back to these passages again and again, we have been walking our way through chapter number one. We spent uh, many services dealing with what the Bible had to say about the Apostle Paul as we dealt with the author of this epistle, the author of this letter. The Bible said there in verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And so we begin began with that. We dealt with who Paul was and his uh, physical penmanship of this book. And I thank God for those messages and those lessons and the opportunity to study about the life of Paul. And then we looked in verse number two and we talked about the audience of this epistle uh, that the Bible here says in verse two, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see that this was Paul writing to Timothy, and we talked about Timothy and enjoyed those sermons as well, and that study as well, at least I hope. Amen. But we've seen the author of this epistle, the audience of this epistle, and in verse 3 and 4, we've dealt with what I've called the appeal of this epistle, where the Bible here in this letter, this epistle, uh, talks about in verse 3, as I besought thee. Paul tells Timothy that he was making an appeal to him to do some things. And he says it here, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. We talked about this appeal and we said that verse 3 tells us it was a pastoral appeal. It was from Paul to Timothy as a pastor to a young man in the ministry that he was training. And so we dealt with that. We talked about how it was a personal appeal that's made. Paul speaks to Timothy directly in verse 3. He says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus that thou mightest charge some. There is a personal nature in those words. And then lastly, we saw that it was a purposeful appeal. The Bible tells us in verse 3 and in verse 4 what the purpose was of Paul giving this appeal to Timothy. Paul knew that Ephesus, while, uh, while filled with great potential, was also filled with growing problems. And that is why Paul wrote to Timothy. It was why Paul wrote to him, appealing to him to fulfill the purpose that he had asked him previously in person to stay in Ephesus for. If you look at verse 3, he said, as I besought thee. That's a past tense. It was a previous conversation that had taken place between Paul and Timothy where he gives this, appeal, this, uh, this purposeful appeal that we've made mention of. And so he tells him in person at a previous date that he wants him to stay in Ephesus and he tells him why. He tells him first of all that there is a choice that had to be made. That was the purpose of him giving this commission 
giving this word, there was a choice that had to be made. Verse 3, he said, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge. In other words, he wasn't going to force him. There was a choice that was being laid before Timothy. And Paul wanted him to make the right choice. The choice would be the charge that would have to be made. So there's a choice. There's a charge in verse 3. That, that, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. And then we see not only a choice and a charge, but we see a change because then the, the words that end verse 4, so do, Paul is saying, I want you to do this that you may affect change in the current spiritual condition of those in Ephesus and that you may cause the people of God there to embrace true doctrine rather than the doctrines that Paul says here in verse number 4 was bringing confusion into this church at Ephesus. He tells him that they, uh, he says that it was that it was his desire that, uh, that Timothy preached to them and charged them in his preaching uh, to, the Bible says here, to teach no other doctrine. He's talking to false teachers there. He said, I want you to talk to those that are teaching false things to stop doing that. And then I want you to tell those that are in the congregation that are receiving their false teaching to not give heed to fables and endless genealogies because they minister questions. And before I move on to what I believe we need to notice in verse number five, I do believe that there is still some ground we need to cover in verse number four. So look at verse number four again with me, and we will look at this attentively this evening. Notice the Bible says, neither give heed. So Paul tells Timothy, you need to preach in that city and amongst that congregation that those false teachers, that you need to stand between them and the people and tell them that they need to stop preaching false doctrine, stop preaching things <coughs> that is against the scriptures and uh, he says in verse 4 that he is to address the people that they are to neither give heed to fables and endless uh, genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith and then he says so do. Paul commissions him to do that with those two words but in this verse, it seems that Paul's ministry in Ephesus has caused him to be fully aware of what is being taught there in the city of Ephesus and within this church. It seems that the more he learns about what is being taught in this city, the more that the fears that he expressed in Acts chapter number 20 to the Ephesian elders is now being more fully realized. Remember, in Acts chapter number 20, he talked about those that would come in among them as grievous wolves, not sparing the flock. And so, uh, the, no doubt as he begins to see these things, he reaches out to Timothy because in Ephesus that fear is now being realized as individuals, the Bible teaches us here, have come in their church and they're not sparing the flock and they are preaching false doctrines uh, to drive them away from the truth of the Word of God. And so we see Paul has realized his greatest fears for this church. I believe that ministering in a place as Paul has uh, for the time that he has has uh, caused him uh, to learn much about this particular place. And I believe that when you minister somewhere for any length of time, you cannot help but learn that uh, particular place. Amen. To learn about that place. Amen. Uh, as a pastor, the longer you stay in a place, uh, the more uh, you will learn about this church and it's uh, the church and it's uh, members and then even the community in which it's in. We see that in Paul's life. Amen. And Paul is simply passing some things to Timothy that without getting into great detail, he's telling him what he knows uh, that city needs and what he knows that church needs. We already dealt with the fact that Paul had spent three years there and he labored there night and day 
and the great ministry that Paul had there. And so Paul is giving these words to Timothy as someone who has learned what this church needs. And he is relaying that to uh, Timothy. Amen. The ministry has caused Paul to know what is being taught there, what that is right. And also it has caused him to know what is being taught there that is not right. And Paul has taken it upon himself to see that there is a full scale attempt to alter the devil's plot to flood this church with uh, this church in this city with false doctrine. Paul is making an attempt through this young man to encourage him to stop what is taking place in this city. Amen. And by the way, I believe that's the church's job today. Amen. We will not be able to help the fact that there will be false teachings that permeate this city. We will not be able to stop. Amen. False teaching and false doctrine uh, into and from invading the lives of those that make up this church body. Amen. But I've said it before. It was taught to me many years ago that which you will not preach against and that which you, you will not stand against will show itself in your church. Amen. Paul is saying that these are the things that I know. These are the things that you need to stand against. Amen. And he's encouraging them to do that. Amen. We need to do that in our church as well. Amen. This uh, city was already used to the wicked false religions existing in the city of Ephesus, especially the worship of Artemis or as uh, is more famous more as she is more famously known as Diana of the Ephesians. They had already become accustomed to false worship. Amen. However, these false teachers are taking things a step further and it does truly, I believe, show and display the fingerprints of Satan in the fact that they are taking true doctrine and they are corrupting true doctrine. It's not just them uh, bowing before Diana. It's not them just uh, worshiping a false god as most of the city of Ephesus was doing. No, these false teachers were taking that which was true and they were corrupting it and they were passing it off to the Ephesian people as if it was the truth. I'll say this, I believe that kind of heresy, I believe that kind of uh, false teaching and false doctrine is more dangerous than simply idol worship. Amen. When you take something that has its foundation in the truth of God's Word and you present it to people, amen, that are at different, uh, that are at different stages of spiritual growth, amen, and you take what sounds right and what has a basis in what is right and you'll twist it and turn it and corrupt it. Amen. To where those that are listening to you think it is right. But it has just enough poison in it to kill them and to destroy them spiritually. We need to realize how important our doctrine, our belief, our foundation on the Word of God really is. Amen. If you don't study your Bible and read your Bible, if you're, if you're not faithful to attend a Bible preaching church, what you hear from out there that you can't stop from flooding into your life could very well wreck your spiritual growth if you are saved, and it very well could send you to hell if you're not. Amen. Paul here tells Timothy that he too must take a firm and fearless stand against the heresies being propagated in Ephesus. D. Edmund Hybert said that, uh, that Timothy's task was to check or to suppress the strange teaching being propagated in his territory. And that as Paul's representative, he was to use the authority that he had in dealing with these men. Timothy is told that they are actively teaching these things that are false and they must stop. They must be stopped. He is to stop the false teaching at its source. That's what Paul is charging Timothy with. Amen. Notice with me these heresies that are named as existing in Ephesus. I've mentioned these briefly as we've dealt with this verse in a previous message, but I believe we need to deal with it a little bit more in detail. Amen. Look at what is said here in verse in verse number three. He says, "As I besought thee to abide." 
abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now notice this, neither give heed to fables and endless, gene and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Let me note real quickly that word some in verse 3. In other words, this is not a, that those that are teaching false doctrine, amen, or what the Bible here says as other doctrine, that does not embody the whole. It simply embodies some. There is a some mentioned in verse 3, and I believe the other part of the some is being dealt with in verse number 4. There is the part of the some that belongs to these false teachers that are teaching that which is false, and then there is the part of the sum of those that are receiving false doctrine. Amen. And so we need to make note of that. Notice what he says here in verse 3. He talks about other doctrine. Notice he says that his charge, first of all, what Timothy was to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That, that two-word phrase, other doctrine, can be wrapped up in one uh, Greek word, and that is the word heteros. Sounds like a prefix we're all familiar with. Amen. I hope you are experientially familiar with. Amen. But the word heteros, y'all can smile. Amen. The word heteros means uh, another of a different kind. In other words, when he talks about that he is to charge some that they teach no other doctrine, he is not saying that he is to preach against those that have a different view of a particular verse than he has. He's not simply here talking about a difference in opinion or a difference of interpretation. He's not saying, well, I think this verse means this, and you think this verse means this, and so you're to blast those that disagree with you. Amen. That happens a lot in our churches. Amen. But that's not what Paul is encouraging here. But what he is telling him to charge, what he is telling him to blast, if you will, and try to deal with publicly and pointedly in the pulpit in the city of Ephesus. Amen. Was he was to preach against those who preach other doctrine. A doctrine not of a similar kind, but with a different opinion, but that which is of a different kind altogether, that which is so different, amen, that it is not truly Bible doctrine in the first place. These false teachers were mingling strange elements into their teachings of God's Word and the Gospel. So much so that its foundation, that it was so different from the foundation of that which is taught amongst Bible believers and amongst uh, Paul's crowd and Timothy's crowd that it had to only be called something that was other than what they had heard. I believe that the book of in the book of Galatians, Paul says that if anyone, a man, preaches another gospel, that if there's someone that is something, that they're teaching things that are completely contrary, amen, uh, the Bible has much to say about that, amen. Go read Galatians chapter number 1, amen, what uh, the opinion of uh, God is in Galatians 1 about those teaching false doctrines. But he mentions other doctrines. Doctrine, and then he mentions fables. I believe that we're all familiar with what a fable is. I believe many of you who love literature may have read Aesop's fables at some time. Some of you may have read some of the most famous fables that exist today uh, to your children. I think about, first of all, the fable of the tortoise and the hare. That is a fable. I think about the fable of the boy who cried wolf. That is a fable. A fable is a myth. It is an invention. It is a fiction. It is a falsehood. Amen. I hope that nobody in here thought that the tortoise and the hare was a, a, document, a documented uh, historical reality. Amen. It was a fictional story that had a lesson that was to be taught. Amen. But it is is a falsehood. It is something that is an invention of the mind, and while that is okay in most 
most forms of literature, especially those forms of literature that have good lessons, amen, and are to be enjoyed for pleasure, or maybe just simply a bedtime story or something that we would give to our children before they go to bed at nine, amen. Fables are not okay when it comes to this piece of literature. Amen. It's not okay to make up what you say the Bible says. Amen. It's not okay for you to invent what the Bible says to you. Amen. That's why I have a problem with what a lot of churches have made uh, commonplace in our day, where instead of a Wednesday night Bible study, we'll uh, meet during the week or go to a coffee shop and we'll read a book and we'll read a, a verse or two out of our perversion of the Bible and then we'll sit and talk about this is what this means to me. Can I, can I submit to you tonight, as much as I would love to hear everybody in here, amen, every man in here give a devotion in our uh, men's prayer breakfast, and while I would love for every woman in here to take a part and give them the devotion at the ladies' dinner, amen, it's not up to me and it's not up to you to decide what the Bible simply means to us, amen. I'm not interested, I, I'm, not, I'm not using this derogatory, but Brother Brandon, I'm not interested in what that verse means to you. I'm interested in what God meant by what he said. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not being ugly in the fact that if you have a verse of Scripture that is special to you for some reason, share it with me. You'll be blessed for saying it. I'll be blessed for enjoying it. But I think y'all understand what I'm saying tonight. Amen. Amen. I, I, it's not up to me to give uh, some kind of fanciful interpretation to the Scriptures. It is my job as a pastor of this church to preach what thus saith the Lord. And it's your job as a Bible student, as a child of God that loves the Bible and reads the Bible and studies the Bible and more than more importantly than all of that believes the Bible to believe it exactly for what it says on the page. Amen. Amen. I'll use the words of Brother Milton Taylor. He's, he's famous for saying the Bible meant what it said when it said what it did. Amen. I don't think I've ever heard Brother Taylor preach a message where he has not said the Bible means what it says when it says what it does. Amen. And I'm thankful for that kind of preaching tonight. Amen. Someone that will tell me what the Bible means. Amen. And not try to make an apology for it. Amen. Here he talks about fables and these in the city of Ephesus were standing up and they were in the, they had an influence of teaching in this church and they were taking the Word of God and taking pieces of it and fable, making fables out of it, making their own inventions out of it. It's interesting to note this word fable that's mentioned here in our text is specifically a word that is used of something that has a basis in historical reality. Now, isn't that almost an oxymoron? A fable that has historical relevance. A fable that is based in reality. Can I say this tonight? That's exactly what is being dealt with here is that they are taking what is true. They are taking as is denoted in the next phrase these endless genealogies. They are taking events from biblical history. They are taking genealogies from Old Testament records and they are using those in this congregation to develop their fables out of. When he talks about endless genealogies in verse 4 and uh, these endless genealogies bringing about questions and ministering questions among God's people, these genealogies were expanded genealogies. They weren't just simply the genealogies that we find in our Bible, but they were being added to and expanded upon and uh, being treated as if they, uh, that these expanded genealogies in this church will make you a sort of super Christian. These, uh, this, these expanded genealogies were expanded in the sense that the names of wives were included and other details were invented. Additional stories were woven into the genealogies and were given wild allegorical interpretations. The Bible calls them endless genealogies. I don't know about it. And by the way, this isn't just talking about, hey amen, when we get to Genesis 5 or one of those other genealogies passages where they just think you just feel like they're never going to end. Amen. That's not what this is talking about. Amen. 
Here's how they were endless. The word endless indicates exactly what you would think it is indicating. They were genealogies that were being taught doctrinally that seemed to never have an end. They were endless in the fact that these false teachers never stopped speaking of them and digging into what they really mean. In other words, you read that genealogy, but here is, the, here is more, here is some additional thoughts that even the Bible doesn't tell you of. And I have learned this, and I've been elevated to understanding more about these genealogies. Let me teach you what uh, is in between the lines of Scripture. You'd be surprised how many folks are out there that want you to believe that your Bible is not enough when it comes to what you need to believe. Amen. Entire belief systems, entire cults are built on that. Amen. The Mormons carry a King James Bible. It's one of the most fun things about witnessing to them. You tell them to pull the Bible out of their backpack, they're going to have one like we use. Amen. Makes it easy to defeat their false doctrine. However, they also have a book called the Book of Mormon. They also have a book that they read called the Pearl of Great Price. They add to uh, those. They'll say, well, th this doesn't give us enough, so we must have the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ. We must have these other books to add to what that incomplete Bible has to say. Amen. Can I tell you, amen, it's not part of my outline, but can I just remind you that in the 66 copies of my King James Bible, I have everything that God wants me to know about anything. Amen. I'll never know all that God wanted me to know. Amen. I can make the diligent effort of my lifetime studying this book and never get to the end of it. Amen. I don't need another testament of Jesus Christ. I have all that I need. I have the full revelation of God. I have a more sure word of prophecy. Amen. I'm glad I've got a perfect copy of God's word tonight. Amen. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be taken from it. And if you read the last page of your Bible, you'll realize that God doesn't think too highly about those that add to or those that take away from. Amen. The word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm glad I've got the whole canon of scripture tonight. Amen. So they wanted to dig into these things to tell these people what uh, the genealogies really meant, what the scripture really meant. They were also endless in the fact that these false teachers never would let them end. <laughs> I feel like most congregations probably think that their pastors are that way as well. Amen. But here's, here's what I mean by that. These endless genealogies was always the source of their teaching. And if these endless genealogies ended, so would their influence as a teacher of the law. Verse 7 says, and we'll deal with this some as we get into the text in the next message, but the Bible says here in verse 7 that their desire was to be teachers of the law. You say, preacher, why did they go to the genealogies? It's because they wanted to be teachers of the law. They wanted, to, they wanted to go back to the Old Testament law, and they wanted to prop themselves up as some kind of intelligentsia of the law, some kind of man of the law that understands even what the teachers of their day, even what men like the Apostle Paul and others aren't smart enough to know or don't have the revelation enough to know. They are propping themselves up as the teachers, amen, that they desire to be. But the Bible had this to say about them in verse 7. The Bible said they understood neither what they said nor of where they affirmed. Amen. You're in a bad place if you don't even know what you're talking about. Amen. You don't deserve to be here if you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Amen. That's one of the reasons why I've taken the time to try to really understand a verse that stumped me before we just continue on because I want to have a clue what I'm talking about. Amen. I don't want to preach on those who don't understand what they say, neither of where they affirm. Amen. And even though I'm preaching the truth, amen, I don't want to have that description of, of, uh, match me either. Amen. <laughs> But they were endless in the fact that they would not let them in because they would lose their influence as a teacher of the law. If they did, they were endless because the things of which they taught were pure fiction. They were, they were fiction being masqueraded as fact. And fiction masqueraded as fact has, has no basis upon which to see the teachings concluded. You know when I know when to 
conclude a message is when I have said all that I believe that God would have for me to say out of those verses. When the, when the revelation that I've been given in a particular passage ends, that's when I'm done talking about it. Amen. Here for these individuals, they, if you're making stuff up, amen, uh, you, there's never, uh, never no place. There's no jumping off place. There's nowhere to stop. Amen. You don't get to the conclusion of what you're saying. Amen. It's kind of like one of the reasons why uh, some ladies have been able to watch, my, like my mom. My mom watched soap operas for over 30, 40 years. You know why? If you can bring people back from the dead, there is no end date in sight. And I don't know of a soap opera that has not, has not resurrected 45 people from the dead. Amen. When you, if, if there is no foundation, if there is nothing that has to fall within the realm of truth, you don't have to stop. And so because this was pure fiction, they could go on and on and on. And the entire time of them going on and on and on, you know what they were doing to the people? They were confusing them. They were ministering questions in them. Amen. And so there was no jumping off place. Amen. They would never be able to reach the end of their investigation. And as previously stated, the point uh, was to keep things going so they could get to their next lesson. And so that they could get to their next group of students. Amen. So that they could appease their egotistical desire uh, to be teachers of the law that's found in verse number 7. When we read Titus chapter number 1 and verse 9 through 16, it seems that we are told that Titus dealt with a similar issue in Crete. And it also seems to let us know without doubt that these fables were, these fables and endless genealogies were connected not to new beliefs, but rather to perversion of Old Testament Jewish laws and writings. Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as thou hast been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many ruly and vain, excuse me, unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So these deceivers, he said, there's a bunch of them that are part of the Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish race. Amen. Verse number 11, he said, Who mouths must be stopped. Did it, do you remember I mentioned that's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy to do? Stop them. Amen. Here's why. Because they are subverting whole houses. They are teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Amen. Verse 12, one of them, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Verse 13, uh, for this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Look at verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables. Remember the fables had its roots in Judaism. These uh, genealogies verse uh, 14 goes on to say and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So we realize that these things are a perverting of the scriptures. And I can, can I say this in both the realm of uh, fables and also in the realm of uh, endless genealogies, if you will, I believe we see the Bible being perverted in those two categories today. While the perversion taking place in Timothy's day involved the Old Testament of the Scriptures today, these two types of falsehoods and doctrine are apparent as false teachers apply them to both the Old and New Testament of the Scriptures. Making things up, saying that there's not enough there. Let me give you more light. Amen. You'd be surprised every time you cut on the TV how many people are, are, are ca causing people to doubt the Bible that they have in their hands. Amen. I mentioned in a previous message about the Hebrew Roots movement of our day. I don't know how many of you are, are familiar with that, but simply the Hebrew Roots movement means that, uh, that, well, you have men like Larry Huck comes on the TV. You have men like Perry Stone, Morris Cirillo, and probably most famously John Hagee 
who will always tell us that we need to go back to what I would call a fantasized ideal of the Old Testament of Old Testament Judaism, and they want us to merge that with a New Testament Christianity in order to find out what a Christian truly is supposed to be. They want you and I as Christians to keep all of the Old Testament feasts, and they talk about uh, going back to Judaism in this way and that way, and to truly be a Christian that really pleases the Lord, there must be a complete merge between Old Testament Judaism and New, Christ, Christ, New Testament Christianity. Amen. And can I just tell you this evening, that's absolute hogwash when it comes to the Bible. Amen. But they want us to do that. But I'll say that I believe that these two areas of heresy go far beyond just that. I, as a pastor, I do at times listen to what the heretics are preaching so that I can know what is being preached to the people in mass. And I can honestly say that some of the world's most popular preachers are guilty of doing exactly what Paul told Timothy to preach against in Ephesus. I mentioned the last time we uh, were in this passage as I talked about verse number 3 and briefly touched on verse number 4. I gave you an illustration about something that Joel Osteen preached about his message on the miracles in your mouth and how he would pervert passages of Scripture to say that you and I as human beings have the ability to create with a spoken word. If I've studied my Bible correctly, only God has the power to create with a spoken word. And Genesis chapter number 1 bears that out for us. Amen. God said, let there be light. And there was light. I've never seen throughout anywhere else in the Scripture where a human being was able to create things from nothing by their speech. Amen. But I've also heard teachings from popular men like T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Joyce Meyer, Joseph Prince, and even many of uh, folks' favorite preachers today, one, uh, Elevation Church and Stephen Furtick, who most people would say is a conservative, whatever that means, in a contemporary church. Amen. A man that walked away from Baptist churches and Baptist teaching and Baptist seminary to have mass baptisms to where you don't even have to profess Christ to be put in their baptismal waters and added to their number of baptisms. Amen. But they have mentioned things that fall into this realm as well. And I'm simply saying this tonight. You better be careful who you let speak to you. You better be careful who you listen to. Amen. I'll be honest with you. Uh, if, they don't, if, if, they, if they don't believe like us, you probably would be fair better to stay away from their teaching. Amen. Especially those of you that have, and I, I'm, I'm saying this with every bit of boldness that God's given me. If you're just recently saved, I'd encourage you to stick with independent Baptist preaching. Amen. I'm sick and tired of hearing people that were part of good Bible-believing churches that have walked away because they got drawn in to the charisma of somebody that's part of another movement, amen, that preaches out of another Bible and teaches things out of other uh, Bible versions, and they have all kinds of ecumenical things taking place at their church, but because they're charismatic and because they have charisma and because they're exciting and enjoyable to listen to, Amen. Uh, they're being drawn to that, and they are leaving our churches by the droves. Amen. Where we know that in our churches, we may not be the most hip churches. We may not have the most fun in church, but what we do have is the Word of God being preached rightly divided. Amen. And at least with Bible preaching, amen, in this church, amen, if your family goes to hell or if your life is shipwrecked, it'll be over hell fire and brimstone red face Bible preaching amen it won't be somebody holding your hand all the way to hell amen it won't be somebody stroking your ego all the way into a wrecked life I'm not here as much as I love you I'm not here to be your best friend I'm here to be your pastor that's why this church called me, and that's why I accepted. 
I came to preach the Word of God, and if you like it, praise God, I'm glad you do. If you don't like it, I'm not concerned with whether you do or not. God placed me here to preach the Bible. Amen. And that's what I'm going to do, whether there's a thousand here or whether it's just me and my family. We're going to preach the Bible. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to have a church that thanks God for Bible preaching, that loves truth, and will show up on a Wednesday night to hear the Bible preached. Amen. Even after uh, it seems like half a year from us being in this book. Amen. 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 I'm thankful for true Bible doctrine. Amen. The TV preachers of our day are engaged in an all-out assault on the Bible. The popular preachers of our day in pulpits across America are engaged in an all-out assault on your confidence in the Bible that you hold. I have no doubt in mind. I'm going to end with this. Don't y'all worry. Amen. I hadn't even gotten to my points yet. I've made some points, but I ain't got to the ones that I ordained. Amen. I've got 17 pages of notes in front of me. You'll be glad I'm saying stop. We'll stop right here. Amen. Of which I am on page six. Amen. Let me say this tonight. I'm sad. My heart is broken that it's not just the TV preachers anymore that are causing people to doubt the Bible. It's not just the world's preachers that are causing preachers to doubt the Bible. I am, my heart is broken, to, and I'm not going to call his name because I still think he's a great preacher. But there is a man that if I called his name, every single one of you for the most part, especially those that have been amongst independent Baptist churches from some time, would recognize his name. And he's preaching some of the biggest meetings that you'd ever attend. I listened to him preach on the radio one day, and he was preaching out of Isaiah 53. And he said these words. He said, when dealing with the first verse, he said Isaiah 53 should have started about two or three verses before it did in Isaiah 52. King James only, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist church, considered a hero of our faith that has preached more meetings than I probably ever will up to this date in his life in my entire lifetime. And he said the Bible should have been, it should have been this way. And that's not the only time I've heard him say that. He, I've heard him say this word should have been translated this way, but our translators got it incorrect. It's not just the TV preachers, folks. Even amongst folks that preach in our kind of churches, that carry our kind of Bibles, you've got to know this so you can know what's being told to you is the truth. And that was part of the problem in the city of Ephesus. A lot of those folks were not grounded in truth. And you can't blame them. They didn't have what you and I have. I don't think they would have been as easily confused if they would have had a copy of the Word of God completed and bound in their hands. What they learned about God and His Word was primarily given to them through the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I've never told this church to believe me blindly for what I teach to you. I believe that every Christian ought to do what Paul said when he talked about the church, uh, the, the, the church of the Bereans. He said they were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul said was so. I'm not, in, I'm not encouraging you to be a skeptic. I'm not encouraging you to, I'm not encouraging you to be a rebel. I'm not encouraging you to not give uh, someone that preaches to you uh, the benefit of the doubt. I'm not, in, I'm not encouraging you uh, to uh, jump on somebody that preaches every time they may have a verbal stutter or say the wrong thing. By the way, if you talk as much as we do to the same group of people, it would be easy to pick apart what you say. Amen. 
But here's what I am telling you to do. Put your nose in this Bible. Place your life in this Bible. And this, really, this isn't what I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to verse 5. But I want to encourage you one more time to get yourself in the Word of God, to live in this book, to love this book more than you ever have, and to learn it, to become obsessed with it, to, uh, to put it in your heart and put it in your mind so that when you hear false teaching, you won't be tempted to believe that somebody might have uh, some kind of uh, extra revelation. Know that you'll have an ear. Amen. When you hear the Word of God preached or taught or talked about, amen, your ear will be trained. Your ear will be spiritual enough to know that that isn't right. I may not know, I may not have chapter and verse. I may not know which address, amen, directly contradicts what says, but I know that's not right. Amen. I'm telling you, this church was, was ravished by wolves coming in among them, not sparing the flock, taking advantage of their ignorance and teaching them things that was not true. Amen. But they merged it with enough of what is true to really hurt them. I'm amazed. The more that I'm in this lost and dying world, the more I'm around people, the more I'm out in our community. How many times you hear people talk about what the Bible says and my heart it becomes grieved with the listening to them saying, these folks have no clue that that's not even scriptural. What has been taught to them in pulpits, what has been taught to them in the name of religion, in the name of Bible Christianity, has so confused them, they don't have a clue what God, where God stands and where He doesn't. Let me ask you tonight, do you know where God stands on the issues of our day? Do you know God's opinion on your life and how you're living? You'd be surprised how many people think that doing this or doing that's okay. And you and I in this church, or at least I would hope most of us, if not all of us, would say, no, I've got 15 or 20 verses to say that's not the case. Putting alcohol down your throat, smoking this and smoking that and destroying your body. I've got verses on that. Scarring up your flesh with tattoos and other kinds of markings. I'm not talking about before you got saved. I'm talking about when you know better. You know what the Bible says. Not people that even simply are just going against what the Bible says in sin. No, they think that God is for it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not condemning people that do things before they got saved. And I understand we all have our sins. We've all taken things and ignored what the Bible said about this, that, or the other, and committed sins. But I'm talking about people who did what they did, thinking God was pleased with it. How many people have you seen with crosses all over their body? They think they're being a testimony for Christ, despite the Word of God telling us that we ought not to have any business in that. That, it, that, that, it's, an, it's, a, that it's, a, it's a visage of the world. That's a visage of, of someone that doesn't know God. But they think they're pleasing God with it, among other things. My heart breaks for people who are in church Sunday after Sunday and week after week. And they think they're living for God and they don't have a clue that God's not pleased with anything that they're doing. And I'm telling you, I know the, the blame falls at the feet of preachers, that call, men that call themselves preachers, that aren't doing what Paul told Timothy to do. Charge them. Stand for truth. But it also falls at the feet of people that are engaged in sinful activity because they don't love the Bible enough to get it in their life. Especially you and I live in a day where we've got it all in a beautiful bound book that we could open up each and every day and get more truth from the Word of God, that our life may day by day become continually, be, be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. I want my life to be conformed to Him, don't you? I want God to be pleased with my life. And I want to know what I can know from this Bible that my life will be as pleasing to God as it can be. Amen. That's my application of these, the portion of these verses tonight. We'll pick back up there next time we get into these verses. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. 
We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.